Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas, presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the voice of all combat sports, the legend Teddy Atlas. Teddy, normally I'd ask you how you're doing, but I don't even have to ask. I know one of the worst stoppages I've ever seen in boxing. Uh, Tony Weeks jumps in, stops um, the Romero uh, Barroso fight, and my God. I, I don't even have words. I just want to turn it over to you because the um, the outrage all over the um, internet and Twitter was just, I've never seen anything like it. It's why I've got the picture of Tony Weeks up behind me with um, Badu Jack who got that cut on his forehead. 25 stitches required to, to shut it. He let that fight go five rounds. That, that cut happened in the seventh. He went to the 12th. Tony Weeks isn't a joker. Tony Weeks been around a long time. To stop the fight the way he did, I said to you and Rob on text, like, if I robbed a bank with this guy and he was this bad at, 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 at covering his tracks, I'd be pissed. How can he, there wasn't even an attempt to make it look Teddy so bad. No, 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 no. Let me correct you. And that's the problem with boxing. You wouldn't be pissed. You'd be in jail. Go ahead. Continue. And that's the, that's, that's it. That's it. That's the problem. I brought. There's no accountability. Yep. That's the problem. If you paid someone to fix that fight and that was the job they did, You'd never work with them again. That was the worst stoppage I've ever seen. I don't, I'd love to hear an explanation. He was actually landing the more impactful shots. Okay, he got buzzed and he got knocked down, but he was like, we've seen guys like, we'll talk about the um, Stephen Butler knockout in a minute, but that guy was like on Queer Street from the first knockdown and, and uh, Jack Reese let it, gave him every chance, three knockdowns. He was like frigging on spaghetti legs. Barroso never looked in trouble. But that was dangerous. That was dangerous. That, that, but that was dangerous. 100%. That fight, you, now you're jumping around. Now, Jack Reese, that's okay. But Jack Reese, listen, he's a friend of mine. I love him. And he's come a long way as a ref. I know when he started. And I've talked to him. But, um, and he's a good person. Uh, him and his, his partner. Uh, and the two of them, he's a judge, his partner. Uh, they've been... Once, once a former detective, and of course, Jack's a former fireman, and um, good people. But that fight that you're talking about with Butler, I use that as an extreme example on the other side of letting it go a little too long. Whereas Tony yeah. Weeks, what are you doing? This kid was a last minute replacement. I think they gave, I think they picked him up like less than a week because the other kid who was supposed to be in there tested positive for. Um, a PED, Clomiphene or something, and they get this kid last minute. They probably thought, the Ro Rollies team probably thought, oh, we got an opponent, let's go, let's get him in. Not probably, not probably. Listen, let's get right yeah. to it. Let's be clear. When you were with one of the five power brokers in the game, there's five of them. When you're with one of the five power brokers, you are privileged. And, and Rolly or whatever you want to he call He even said that in a pre-fight interview. He said, I'm privileged. You're privileged. And Romero's privileged. You get destroyed. You get destroyed by Tank Davis, a real good, complete fighter. You get destroyed by him. And then you get brought back for some cockamamie title or whatever. I don't even know. I can't even call it a... On a main event, on a major network. How's that a main event? I don't know what the... Whatever. It's, it's absurd, of course. Uh, but it's a world of absurdity in, in my sport, unfortunately. And he gets brought back against a 40-year-old guy who's been knocked out twice that they they think they're giving him a Christmas gift in May. That's what they think they're 100%. doing. That's the That's intention. Right. That's it. But it backfired on him. So plan B. 
have the referees step in? Do I have proof of this? No, other than knowing the sport, the, the history of the sport, that like my great mentor, Costamato, used to say, it's either incompetence or corruption, and nobody could be that incompetent. Time and time and time and time and time again. Nobody! Teddy, if you, if you want proof, just watch what happened. The favorite, the A-side was, was landing punches, and they were like, oh, that's enough. Let me, I'm going to jump off that. I'm a lawyer right now in court. My daughter's really the lawyer in my family. But I'm a lawyer right now in court. Does anybody out there, anyone in the jury, and whether you know it or not, you the fans of the jury, you're the jury! And damn it, you're, you're not voting. You're not doing nothing. If you didn't like a politician, you would vote. You could vote here too. You don't like it after a while? Vote. Couple ways to vote. Turn off the TV. Don't watch the sport. I don't want you to really do that. Call up your congressman, your assemblyman, and say that these uh, pathetic commissions that are there much of the time with taxpayer money, that you demand that they start to behave like commissions and take action against such stuff. That's a good start. Do something other than sit there and then we complain. If we are not part of solving a problem, we're part of the problem. Please. And so, as far as Tony Weeks, he's made mistakes. This ain't his first one. I've seen him called knockdowns when there was no knockdown. He's the only guy who saw it. And like you said, he, he allowed a horrific cut, horrific, to go on, but yet he stops this one. You know, how could you not think, how could the people out there not say that it was plan B, escape plan, that just in case things weren't going good, and they weren't going good, that they would pull the ripcord and they'd have their guys step in. Again, I have no tangible proof. The only proof I have is... You you have proof of seeing exactly what happened. Proof is the proof in the eye. The proof is in the history of the sport. The proof is in how many times we've seen. The proof is in me understanding too much of how this sport works, of being at dinners in Europe, in the United States, where the big dinner, looked like the Last Supper, Ken, with the best of everything, you know, <laughs> where, where it was steaks and the best of Colby's steaks, whatever the hell they had, they had lobsters, the best wines, you know, caviar, caviar. Would somebody like, I've never eaten caviar. Would somebody like some caviar? Uh, and everything. And, and who's at this dinner? All all of the judges and refs and inspectors and heads of the organization that are supposed to be administrating the fight, that are going to be judging the next day, refereeing the next day, as I said, administrating the fight the next day. And who do you think's picking up the bill? Who's the host? The promoter. The promoter. Well, you don't see graph there. You don't see something wrong there. And then, and then, yeah, I've sat there and I've heard some of the judges that look so pristine with their ironed shirt and, and so honorable. Yeah, honorable. And see them 
lean over to one of the promoter's top aides and say, excuse me, you know, I, I have my wife flying in this weekend. Do you, do you think maybe I could upgrade my room to a suite? Yeah, we could take. Yeah, we'll talk about that with that. Oh, excuse me, another one saying I I have uh, my girlfriend uh, is gonna come. Could I get an extra plane ticket? Maybe you know I was. Uh, uh, could I get a? You know, could I get a? Yeah, yeah. Let me talk to you. Let me let me talk to you about those things. Yeah, it's not an envelope of cash, stuffed cash underneath uh, a table in a cigar smoke room, but it's graph. It's graph. It's it, it's sending a message. You're you're telling you're telling these refs. You're telling these officials. You take care of me. I take care of you. You want to continue working? The promoters have too much power. They they could. There's no separation. There's no separation between church and state. There's no where between the people making money and the people that are supposed to be enforcing rules. There's no separation there where they can be elbow to elbow with the people who are going to administrate the rules the next night and and influence them. Make it very clear that, you know what, you know who my guy is, right? They don't have to say it. (laughs) They don't have to say it. And if you want to keep working, and guess what? If they don't do the right thing, they don't work. The promoters have that much sway where they can say, no, we don't want that guy. We don't, we're not going to have, we, we don't, we're not going to, they're going to eliminate that guy. And guess what? The promoters are the ones that are putting the work out there. They're the ones that are putting the shows out there. So there's only so many places you can work if you're an official. And if, if you don't, do the right thing by that guy. Where are you going to go? You're not going to work. You're not going to work. And let me ask you something. What I just described to you. Could you imagine this happening the night before a World Series baseball game where the New York Yankees are in the World Series? And I'm going to use the name Steinbrenner because it's a universal name almost. Where the Steinbrenners are hosting a dinner, and at that dinner are all the umpires and officiating crew <laughs> that are going to be there the next day at Yankee Stadium calling balls and strikes for the World Series. No, you couldn't see it. No, you couldn't see it. There's separation. There's a national, there's a commission to make sure. There's an oversight. Until there's an oversight. An independent oversight in my business, in boxing, that I put 50 freaking years into, and a lot of other people have too, until, and, and that these fighters bleed, and these fighters, they, they give everything, until there is, or a national commission, this will never stop. It will never stop. It's built to be corrupted. It's built to be corrupted. How can it not be corrupted with what I just described? How can it not be and getting back to this specific one that's got us going crazy here, again, it's one of many. It's one of many. If it's not that, it's something else that's being done. It all falls under the same category. It's wrong. It's wrong. And, and Romero already got a gift. Because, and again, he was being given a gift because of who he's with. Let me ask this question. Again, I started before and I interrupted myself where if I'm the lawyer and I'm presenting this to you, the jury, 
the fans, and you are the jury. I just went over that. If I'm doing that, I'm going to ask you one simple question before I send it to you to deliberate on, okay, for the verdict. Here's my question, Ken, to all the fans out there, our jury. If this was reversed, reverse the roles, if it was not the house fighter, if it was, if it was instead of the house fighter, Romero, the promoter's fighter, being the one that's behind in a fight and who suddenly has a moment where they can do something, even though the other guy's not getting hit, even though he's not getting hit and it never should have been stopped, if it was the reverse way around and the house fighter was the same was in the same predicament, exactly the same, would this referee, the same referee, or any ref, but in the same situation, is there anybody out there that believes the fight would have been stopped? Do you believe it, Ken? Well, to, to your point, we can, give a, we can give about 20 examples of guys. When, when the A side, I remember when Otto Wallen busted uh, Fury's eye open so bad. If that was anyone other than... That was never going to be stopped. It was never going to be stopped. If it was the other way around or any other fight, they'd be stopped. They had a stitch. It's like whole eyeball was practically hanging out. I was looking through his eyelid. Ken, Ken, someone could have came in. It was a big, big, huge guy. Someone <laughs> could have came in and put a stick of dynamite in that cup, lit the light, and blew it up, and it still wouldn't have been stopped. They would have said, let us clean the mess <laughs> up. Let us, let us clean yep. up. Let's sanitize the area, and then we'll get started. We'll figure it out. We knew that that wasn't going to be stopped because... It was the A side and the B side. Of it was course. the promoter's fighter versus not the promoter's fighter. And the same thing here. That's right. Same thing here. Again, nobody with a straight face, with a molecule of honesty in their heart, in their body, in their mind, could say, could answer my question by saying, yeah, Teddy, I think that if, it was the, if roles were reversed and it was Raleigh Romero, uh, you know, uh, who uh, for a moment got caught, which he did earlier, and then uh, was being followed up on, even though he wasn't getting hit. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I think that the referee would have done the same thing. Of course he wouldn't have. And of course you don't think that. And that's all you need to know. Because if the treatment's not the same on both sides, then there's something wrong. There's something terribly wrong. If there's not equal treatment on both sides, and there's not, there's not. And, and I started saying earlier, he was being given a gift with this fight, and it went sideways. It went sideways on him. He was a nine-to-one underdog. I think it was nine-to-one. <laughs> it, it went sideways. Yeah. But Raleigh already got a gift. What was it, a year ago, year and a half ago, before the tank fight, his first fight? Bigger fight where he fought that kid That's from the right. Dominican Republic. Um, what was his name? And he fought that kid. I want to. I wrote his name down. Hold on one second. He fought um, before Davis. He fought uh, Anthony Yigit and Avery Sparrow before that. And before that was Jack Maynez. Maynez. Arters. Yeah, Romero fought the kid from the Dominican Republic. 
And and a kid, ja- Jackson Marinas, the guy you just said, he fought Jackson yeah, Marinas. Marinas, listen, listen to me, guys. This is why I scream. This is why I get so passionate. Marinas, he boxed circles around Romero, and they robbed him. They robbed his poor kid, and I mean literally poor kid. They sent him to the back of the line, and I've always talked about to receive thousands of punches before he ever gets back to that place, if he ever does. And he won't, because he's lost since. He got knocked out by Comey right after that, and then he lost to, Fra- and then he lost to Frank Martin, and he got TKO'd by him too. That was his moment. Everything was going right yep. for him. He worked his life for that moment. He deserved what Romero wind up getting. He deserved the next big fight, the title fight, the money fight. He was in line. He earned it. And he'll never get it. And he gets sent back to the back of the line to just really never have what he could have had. He earned the right to get a big fight, to change his life. But because of this, I was going to say this injustice business see i want to make it clear it's not the sport the injustice is the administration of the sport the people who run the sport the people who corrupt the sport the people who 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 destroy the sport they're the ones that do these kind of things these kind of actions you know to a poor kid from the dominican republic who's going to remain poor his dream ripped away by a bunch of callous, heartless crooks. They really should be ashamed of themselves, Ken. You know, if they if they had the capacity to be ashamed. But I don't know if they even understand what that mer- word means or if they cared to know. But at the end of the day, because of their actions and their repeated actions, we obviously know they don't. It just sickens me. And I know this is... I, I say get rid of them. I, I know, uh, listen, I, I've gone over this enough times. I can't keep going over it. Really, I lost my job. So nobody can say, oh, but Teddy, you got to put in your, you know, you got to put in your pound of flesh. I put it in. I lost my job. I'm not calling fights anymore at ringside because of taking the stance I took for this fight. And I'm still fighting it. I'm not complaining, I'm not crying, but other people got to fight it a little more. And I'm not saying I'm the only guy out there, I'm saying more, others, more, you guys. Really, again, the jury. Really, the jury, the the lifeblood of the sport, you, the fans. Really, you got to take up arms. Uh, You know, and arms is just to turn your TV off, write a letter, Send something, as I said to your congressman, your assemblyman, you got to do something. Otherwise, it will never, and it hasn't. It, it will continue to never. You got to get sick and tired of seeing these. I saw it in the Olympics. Kids falling down on the floor with crooked Aipa. They finally got rid of them. I lost my job there too with NBC because of what I said. Me and Bob Papa, my partner. But they finally got rid of I, two two Olympics too late for me, but and for those kids that got robbed, that fell on a 
floor on the canvas day in and day out crying because their whole life all the sacrifice they didn't go to proms they didn't go to dances they didn't they they didn't play they didn't play ball they didn't go out there you know play stickball no they were in the gym training for the olympics to be a champion fighter and it got ripped away from them from these indecent low-life people that don't care about what they rip away from a human being. They don't care if you're tired of it. I mean, I've said this statement before that boxing follows society. Is anyone tired of seeing what we see out there, the social de decay where people don't care no more? Where, where you see people in the streets, you see violence everywhere, where there's, it's out of control. Really, kids, kids, innocent kids, I'm sick and tired of it, that no one talks about it. If it, doesn't, if it doesn't meet a certain agenda, to talk about it where it serves a certain agenda. These are kid, poor kids that are being killed, that are, going, that, that are being lost their lives, their chance to have a life a life that the politicians have had already in boxing, the life that the judges have had already. These kids haven't had a chance to have that life yet in any way. My daughter had to tell me, God bless her, she's coming home, she's seven months pregnant. She's coming home the other day. She works, she's in the city. She's a lawyer and still takes care of her kids. Her and her husband every day makes breakfast before she gets on a bus to go out there, works the whole day, then comes home to take care. She's walking to the bus and she sees a man in the middle of the street, in the middle of the street, a little bit off, but off the sidewalk, laying there. People are walking around them. Walking around him like he's a discarded paper bag that you don't want to step on because you might get something on your shoe. They're walking around him just ignoring it. She went and looked for a policeman just to find out if he was alive, if he needed help just, just for that moment. Have we become that numb? Have we really become that numb to such things that we can ignore such things and then go home and see our beautiful children that we don't want them to be touched by such things and we'll protect them. But if, but if that's how we feel, then we also have to protect others. Really, because otherwise eventually it will touch us. It will touch everybody. You think it won't. You know, you step around that body like it's a paper bag. But sooner or later, there'll be another body and another body. And you won't be able to step around them all. And it'll be a, it'll be a body of someone that you recognize. Maybe identify with. You have to. It comes to a point. You have to. At when? At what point do we say, no, enough is enough. We, we, we have to make a stand. And, and, and like I said, Boxing follows society, and boxing's doing the same thing. And you know what I want to say? I do have a good story here, too, with all this terrible stuff. But I do have a good story where there are some good people out there that are doing something, like the people on the Internet, some of the people out there even about, some of them are saying now they're so disgusted by this, they're, they're talking. But you got to do more than talk. You got to do more. I I want to get it to where maybe society follows boxing. Maybe we can take the lead. 
Maybe we can take the lead. Yeah. Yeah, because life is a fight. Society is a fight. All of society is in a fight of life that maybe they can follow us in a fight business. Maybe we could turn things around and start getting our house in order and start caring about our people in a way that we really shouldn't instead of just saying, ah, we're numb to it, that's boxing. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Just another bad decision, another this, another that. No, no, we can't keep taking that attitude. And one of the good stories is I, and I, I didn't mean to jump into it this way, but David Berlin, my one of the attorneys for my charity foundation where we help people, I, I got three pro bono attorneys. I got him, my daughter, and Keith Sullivan. And one of he he's out in Russia last week, the, the same night, the same night as the, oh, two weeks ago, the same night as the Canelo fight. And I promised him that I would bring light to this. Little did I know that I should have known, possibility, but little did I know that the skies would open up with other problems, other corruption. But he wanted me to put a little light. And I don't look at it as doing a favor for a friend. I look at it as doing the right thing for a sport, for a fighter. And he had a fighter. Ken, you'll go over the names. I'll, I'll get the names. But he had a fighter in Russia, Soro, French fighter, who fought for IB, uh, fought for WBA title eliminator in 154-pound class. So a big fight, a fight that's going to change his life. And he fought the Russian fighter, and they knew it could be tough over there, but they thought they had neutral, they thought they had the right judges. You never have the right judges if you don't have the right judges, unfortunately, in this business. Anyway, long story short, they got robbed. They got robbed. And he put an appeal in. An appeal in to, for the Russian Federation to look at this. And they will. They'll look at it. I mean, <laughs> but I want, them to, I want them to be forced to look at it. By, again, everybody coming together here. Because their fight is our fight. Because eventually this stuff, like I said, it's, it's like a tidal wave. It just keeps going. And who knows where it doesn't stop until it destroys everything. Because when you stop caring about what's right, a part of you dies. A part of you dies. And it affects everything. It affects how you live your life with your own children. Everything. So here's the good part. Where maybe boxing can lead the way for society for a change. The transnational rankings which is a group of a group springs toledo is one of the lead writers but it's a group of 50 international writers with no attachment no biases that they're, they're international boxing writers and they formed this rankings group it's the only rankings organization i trust they started about 11 years ago 10 years ago espn and i talked about them then i gave them a good boost then, because I believed that we needed something else. We needed someone we could trust. We needed a place that would do it the right way. And they do it the right way. They're not influenced by sanctioning fees and by, you know, by the promoter and, and who, you know, who that promoter and the guy that they're indebted to wants to be rated higher. They, no, 
They, they don't have that crap. They're not burdened by that. They're not touched. They're not compromised. They're not dirtied by that. They're clean. And they came, and they have a rule. You're going to love it, fans, that if they deem a fight a robbery, they will not drop the guy who got robbed. They will drop him in the rankings. Usually you drop. And they won't keep the guy that won at the same place. They'll drop him. Wow, what a novel idea. Justice, honesty, accountability. And they have only in their history, 10 years, a little over 10 years of their history, they've only had three fights that have fallen under that criterion for them where it's a, they deemed it a robbery to vote on the guy who got robbed to keep him at his rankings, maybe even raise him sometimes, and to drop the guy sometimes who won. Well, now it's four. They deemed this a robbery. And you know what? That's a good start. Yeah, it's, it shows up on box rack as no, uh, no, dis, no, there's no official ruling. It's uh, you're talking about Magomed Kurbanov versus Michel Soro at yes. 154 yes. over in Russia. Yeah, there's no official, there's no official result. I've never seen this on box rack. It's just a yeah. question mark. So they had the fight, and there's no scorecards, nothing. It's getting out. People are finally saying enough. That's a good sign. I hope it's a continuing trend of people that just that before they just shrugged their shoulders, don't shrug their shoulders no more. That said they couldn't do anything, they do something. They, they, they start to do something in the way they can. In whatever little way that is, they do something. That, you have the Sweet Science, their website. They've come forward now where they started, I don't know how long ago, they started their own rankings. They followed, obviously, the footprint of transnational rankings, and they started it. They came forward. They came forward and said, no, this was a robbery. No, we're not going to recognize this, you know, this, we're not going to recognize, I think the way the writer worded it, I'm trying to remember the writer's name, because he deserves credit for standing up, for having guts, for caring about the sport, for doing something. Where he wrote, we're not going to recognize incompetent decisions, or whatever word he used. We're, we're not going to recognize wrong decisions. No. I'm, I'm praying that it's a trend. That, that it's that wave I talked about, where to start coming to shore to, for everything, for everybody. Wouldn't that be nice? Where people just finally, finally, in this industry, the good people, all of you, where they finally had enough. They finally had enough. Enough of seeing people's dreams ripped away, ripped out of their heart like some freaking B-class kung fu movie where the guy goes, ah! And he pulls the, his fist into your chest and pulls the heart out. That's what they're doing to these kids. That's what they're doing to these fighters that put everything on the line to change their lives for themselves and their families. It has to stop. It has to stop. Like, the, like the movie, can you know the movie Network, right? And I asked Rob to put this up there just for a little boom, you know, to, to just give a little more emphasis if you need it anymore. 
But and I know it's a movie, and I love to use movies that that sing that kind of speak to something that's going on in real life, and it does speak to it. Where the guy in the movie Network, where he talks about this, and he says to all the people out there, "Are you tired of what's going on?" And everything I just talked about, are you tired of it? Are you sick and tired of it? When are you gonna say? Rather than sit there and just ignore it and say, well, at least it's not touching me today. It's going to touch you. When are you going to say enough is enough? When? And then he said, I want you to go to your window. I want you to open up your window. And I want you to stick your head out and yell, I'm mad as hell and I ain't going to take it no more. (laughs) And I want to really, really, Ken, I, I want the people in this business Everyone, the fighters, everybody, really, stick your head out the window, whatever window that is, whatever portal that is, to be able to get your message to the, to the place it has to get to and yell, I ain't going to take it no more. I'm sick and tired. I'm mad as hell. I ain't going to take this no more. I, I, really, that's, that's the only chance. And like I said earlier, maybe I'm being idealistic, but as I said earlier, maybe, maybe for once society will follow boxing's lead. Wouldn't that be beautiful? And this, if we could do that. And, and, yeah, you know that, you know that in addition to the scorecards, when the kid, uh, when the Russian kid weighed in the day before, thank God David Berlin was there because the Russian kid weighed in, put his hand on his teammate's shoulder for the weigh in. It was so egregious. They were like, dude, what are you doing? Cut the shit. Stripped him naked. He makes the weight, but he, but even that was controversial. So they said, I, maybe David negotiated with them. He had to weigh in the next day and he missed the weight the next day. So he had to give Soto some extra bread. So the guy, they were trying to cheat him before the fight even started. They were trying to pull a fast one on him. All right, here's the name of the writer. The name of the writer from the Sweet Science, he deserves credit. We need more writers like Matt McGrain. We need more Matt McGrains out there. That, that are going to say, I ain't taking it no more. Um, um, you know how he picked up his window? By using his website. That's his window. We all have windows. Open them up and say something like, like Matt McGrain. Here's, the, here's what he said. He said that the Sweet Science Boxing website has decided with their rankings that they followed like I said to Transnational that the Soro-Kurbanov decision, they saw it as an egregious robbery. All right. (laughs) An egregious robbery. Okay. (laughs) And that incompetence in scoring will be ignored. In other words, if they deem it, (laughs) they're going to ignore it. They're going to ignore it. Good. Good for you. And and Ken, thank you for touching on what you just did. And listen, I I made a few notes. I think I covered it pretty good for David. I think he's got to, I would hope he, he, he'd be happy with it. But I made some, I made some notes of specifically what it was that He's bringing about 
in his appeal. Well, I don't think he has to say more than just wa someone watch the fight and tell me that this kid lost the fight. You're out of your mind. Like you can see, it's a one-sided, one-sided fight for the guy who they had losing. And back to the uh, while you look for your notes, back to the Barroso Roley Romero fight. Like I don't even understand the push behind Romero. I don't see him as a very marketable fighter. He's not like he comes off as eloquent or, or likable. And I'm going to say it even more succinctly. It looks like he talks better than he fights right now. Is that fair, Ken? <laughs> I mean, if you if you if you like that style of trash talk, he doesn't come across as overly intelligent. No, no, I'm, I'm not saying I like that talking, but he does a lot of talking, and he doesn't. It's it's like he's more aggressive. He's more aggressive with his talking than he is with his fight, or or whatever you want to call it. But in other words, he's got to get better at fighting and do less talking. I've heard better witty trash talk from my sixth and seventh grade kids while they're playing basketball in my driveway. He is not the best fighter. Every time he's like even stepped up remotely close to an elite level, he's looked terrible. I just don't get it. Like what, what's the push there? I mean, hey, A for effort. That guy's not what you think he is. He's not a main event fighter. I'm sorry. I, I don't like to be disrespectful to anyone, but the facts are the facts. That guy is not a main event fighter. He's barely surviving against a last minute opponent. Maybe he wins the fight by knockout if Tony Weeks lets it keep going, but maybe he gets knocked out too. He was getting cracked left and right. Um, like you said, he got a gift uh, a few fights before. Tank blasted him out of the ring so fast it wasn't even remotely close. Um, and the crazy thing is he's going to get another big money fight. I just, I must be missing something and I have no personal agenda or bias against the kid. I just call it like I see it. Talks a lot of trash, doesn't really back it up and... <laughs> I agree with you. Here's the here's the couple points real quick on David Berlin's appeal. And you just touched on it. Uh, at the weigh-in, Kubanov came to the scale stripped naked. That means you're having a weight problem, right? And um, After he got caught with his hand on his shoulder of his teammate. No, no, no. This is when he first came. He came there. He had members of his team around him, you know, and they put a towel around him. And then he came in a pound light. So they looked at the videotape and they saw that he cheated. All right? Indisputable. <laughs> that he pushed down on his handler's hand to lift himself up <laughs> to take weight off the scale. Okay? Another, another brilliant criminal. Yeah, another brilliant criminal. But, but, but where is the oversight? None. Where, where, really? Where, where is the commission? Where is, come on, it's a joke. All right. Number two, they negotiated afterwards. And there was money. They got extra money to go forward. But they negotiated that the morning after that there would be a 10-pound limit of how much weight you could put on. And they used, yep. you know, they used the, uh, the standard that the IBF uses, you know, uh, that they have... In the rehydration yeah, rehydrate, clause. That it couldn't be more than 10 pounds, okay? So they agreed to that. Yep. All right. So... Kubanov gets on the scale and he's 11 pounds over. So he, he's a pound higher than they agreed. And when they went to talk to him, he walked off the scale basically, hey, you know, freak you. I, I, I don't care. They're, you know, so he, that was it. All right. <laughs> Number three, there was a Russian, a French, and a German judge. The Russian and German voted for Kubanov and the French judge for Soro. Any, I mean, that's the shocker, yeah. right? Um, and like I said, the transnational boxing rankings, you know, they deemed this a robbery. And the only other thing that 
I believe in holding people accountable. I'm going to put the name of the judges out there um, who gave the fight to the Russian fighter. They were, and, and by the way, everyone at ringside thought it was a horrible decision. Some people went as far as to say it was the worst decision they ever saw. Not me. See, I'm always going to be honest, I, or try to be. I, I didn't think it was the worst I've ever seen, but you know what, Ken? That would like, be like asking Mario Andretti to tell you the worst car crashes he ever saw. <laughs> that would be hard, because he's seen a lot of car crashes, the great Mario Andretti, the great, great race car driver, for those who don't know who he is. So I, I've seen worse, but it was bad enough. It was bad enough. And most everyone there, said that it should have been nine rounds to three. Maybe eight to four, the very worst, but nine rounds to three. The judges who gave the fight to the Russian fighter were Dmitry Bodryev, B-O-L-D-Y-R-E-V, and Joag Mike from Germany. All right? So really, whether it's, whether it's them or whether it's Tony Weeks, you know what? There should be there should be some kind of warning that goes with them when they walk into an arena. Kind of like the warning, the Surgeon General's warning on a pack of cigarettes, where where it says, "Be careful. This could be detrimental to your health." Well, what what we could what we could add to that would be, "Be careful with these men." If they're judging or refereeing your fight, it could be detrimental to the health of your fighter, to the future and welfare of your fighter. Really, that's fair. That's what they should put out there. And, and I got to say one other thing. You know what I think these judges, I know I'm going crazy. I don't care. You know what these judges' punishment should be? Take them all, weeks, all of them, all of them. Get them on a ship. Get them out of here. Put them on a ship. Ken, <laughs> Ken, put them on a ship. Put them at sea where every night they have to judge a different fight. Every night they have to judge a fight. And, and on that ship with them, have everybody, every fighter that they've ever robbed and destroyed their lives. Any fighter that they've ever destroyed their life, that they've robbed, that they that they took hope away from, where they took them from a path of victory and put them into sometimes a life of defeat. Every one of them have them on that boat. And after the fights of the night, they have to get in the ring with one of those fighters that they destroyed their life for one round. Just for one round. Just for one round. They got to get in the ring. And don't worry, we're going to have a good infirmary on the boat with good doctors. So they get treated. They get fixed up. And then the next night, they'll judge another fight and they'll do one round with another fighter who they destroyed their life. And you know what the hope is? It's not just to be mean. The hope is that by the end of their voyage, when the ship finally comes to harbor, that maybe they would have learned something. Maybe they would have become better judges, better referees. Really, maybe for the first time in their life, they would have taken this stuff seriously. And they, there would have been an accountability. And I know that what people, I'm being what I'm being, but, but the point is the point. If maybe there's some accountability 
maybe some recognition for the harm that they're really truly doing to these kids. You know, all those years, 18 straight years of Friday night fights, me calling those fights, how many of those kids I saw that they had the title. They had it that night. They had it. And they got it ripped away from them. And you never heard from them again. It would have changed their life. Yeah. No, you're right. And, uh, you know, unfortunately for um, Barroso, Venezuelan obviously doesn't have the representation that Romero had or the pull, and they just feel like they can do this to him, and there's no recourse. And without representation and without being represented by one of the power players in the sport, it's hard to um, get a fair shake. It's crazy that it's not judged on just boxing merit alone. But we've seen it time and time again. And for the analytics, for the analytics real quick of the fight, you don't need them. But, but real, real quick, and you really don't need them. Ken touched on it. Romero was very tentative. He still had ghosts floating around his head from the Tank Davis knockout uh, devastation. And he was very tentative. He didn't use a jab. You got to use a jab. He was fighting another southpaw just like Tank Davis. He, you got to still use your jab, even if it doesn't land all the time, just to occupy the guy so the guy doesn't have his way. So you control the theme, the rhythm of the fight, the flow of the fight, but he didn't use it. He's looking for the southpaw kill, the right hand, and he's missing, he's missing. He finally landed somewhere, you know, that led to what we're talking about, but he's missing all, and he, and he hasn't corrected any flaws. Yeah, he was tentative, he didn't want to reach in, he didn't want to get reckless, you know, so give him credit, maybe you say, okay, he learned a little something, he didn't want to reach in, so, you know, he was trying to be careful, but he didn't learn the right way to get in without reaching in. So, you know, and, so he's being tentative, look at, not looking to fall into a trap and get knocked out like he did by Davis. But the other flaws are still there. He went straight back two, three steps in a row. You don't do that. And, and that's, how, that's how he got caught. That's how Barroso caught him. He followed him up and caught him with the left hand because he went straight back two, three steps in a row. Any teacher that knows anything about the sweet science should teach you. You don't go back two or three steps in a row. You go back one at the right distance, and then you get off the track. You move your head. <laughs> you don't stay on the track. The train's coming. And if you stay on the track, the train's going to kill you, even though it's another 50 feet down the track. It's still going to hit you and run you over. And this old man, last thing about Barroso, God bless him, because to look at him, I mean, he was 40. Well, they said he was 40. He looked like he was 80. Pro Gray sent a tweet before the fight and said, if Pawpaw wins this fight, I'm quitting the sport. Because <laughs> the guy looks old. He looked like someone's grandfather, and he did look old. The only positive is that Pro Gray, who we like a lot, didn't have to quit the sport. But you know what? Listen, <laughs> he, God knows how old he really is. Who knows? But... Give him credit. Give him credit. And I'll leave it with this, my analysis of the fight. Give him credit. He, was, he knew what he was doing. He was deliberate. He had a plan. He was winning the fight, right? He was, he was mixing it up with being a little aggressive, being countering, you know, uh, being smart with a much, much younger and a good puncher in front of him. But, and this is the... I, I don't think you can argue with what I'm about to say. And I'm not taking nothing away from the old man's effort. You know, Barroso's effort. I'm taking nothing away from him. But 
if truth be said, which often isn't in my sport, it had a his performance had as much to do with what Romero wasn't doing, with what he was doing. Is that fair, Ken? And and I'm t- taking yep. nothing away from him. He did good things, but also it had a lot to do with what Romero was not doing, as well as what he was doing, because Romero was. I mean, he was in, you know, he he was. I mean, he was adding to his own demise. Obviously, he was an accomplice to his own demise, if you will. You know, where he just wasn't doing anything. Yep. Well, we've got a ton of other fights to to um, touch on, but real quick, before that, in the co-main, Rancis Bartholomew gets a win over Omar Juarez. Uh, one judge had it a draw. Two judge had two judges had it for Bartholomew. Uh, crowd was booing him right out of the right out of the ring when this fight was over. I I had a hard time watching this fight. It was boring to me. Um, what'd you think, Bartholomew? What day list him as thirty eight? All I can tell you is 10 years ago, 15 years ago, no, 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 no. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, whatever it was, I was calling his fights on ESPN Friday Night Fights. So if he's he's 37 or 38, you'll give me the age in a minute. I want to be accurate. It says he's 37, and he was in with Juarez 23. Okay, if he's 37, all right, no problem. I'm 17. (laughs) You and Luis Ortiz. All I can say is, look, who knows? Who knows? Because he escaped, I believe, from Cuba. A lot of those tremendous fighters, they That's escaped right. from Cuba, from, from a harsh regime, to come to this great country, to come to this great country and, and, and be able to prosper. And he did. And they take peril. They take all kinds of risks, different kinds of risks. Some of them even get on a raft and they could drown or get eaten by sharks. To come here, to come to this country, to have a chance to have a free life, as I said, a good life, a prosperous life, and he did. But let me tell you something. When you're leaving a place the way that they have to leave, Ken, you ain't putting documents like birth certificates into a FedEx uh, container. You're, you're, you're not putting them into a filing cabinet and putting that on the raft with you. A lot, uh, I'd venture to guess a lot of them don't have I was. That's the point. That's the point. Who knows how old they really are? Because they're coming, leaving a, a regime like they're leaving to get here, right? They're coming over here. Then, like I said, they're not coming over with documents put away in a filing cabinet. They're just coming over with what's on their back, the clothes on their back for the most part, to get here, to start a new life, a better life. So a lot of them don't even know. And if they do know, they can say whatever, you know, whatever hits them. I remember the great Yankee pitcher from Cuba years ago, El Duque. You remember him? He was a great money yeah, pitcher. They won the World Series with him. He was great. He was great. And he was 28 years old for about 42 years. <laughs> no, 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 seriously. He was 28 years old for at least 10 years. At least 10 years. I, who knows how old El Duque was? He also escaped that harsh regime in Cuba. So the point I'm making is when you see some of these, when you see some of these these agents with some of the fighters that come from these places, 
really, you got to be a little, maybe a little skeptical. I mean, it would be kind of like you trusting reading the Inquirer to know what happened to JFK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, 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 are you going to read, really? Are you going to read that to know what happened to JFK? Or to know where Jimmy Hoffa's buried? Are you, really? <laughs> When we adopted my daughter, the um, her birth mother, there was no official documentation. She wasn't born in a hospital. And she said, uh, the birth mother told us, yeah, she, I know the date because it was the day of the one of the World Cup finals. And I remember on July 14th, that was the date. So that's the date. That's her birth date. And we just went with that. But, you know, it was in, in the context. She was like four months old when we got her. But that was the only reference we had to a specific date when she may have been born. But and, and I don't think that that's unusual for any country outside of like the developed world where access to a hospital is a huge privilege. Yeah, 100%. And you, we should remember that privilege. We live here in this great country. We should remember that privilege that other people don't automatically get born with. So anyway, as far as breaking the fight down, Bartholomew... It was, look, it was what I always talk about, a battle of geography. He's longer, he's taller, and when and he looked to control the outside, which he did for some of the fight. And then what was the opponent again? Uh, Juarez. Juarez. Omar Juarez. Was shorter, <clears throat> short arms, and looked to get inside, <laughs> to have the inside track, the inside geography, and he had his way in spots. They took turns having their chances at getting the proper geography <laughs> that worked for their abilities, for their physicalities, for their talents. They took turns. But at the end of the day, Bartholomew uses experience, uses reach, got the geography probably a little bit more than Juarez did. You know, it, it had its moments where it was back and forth, where it, was, it wasn't bad. It did, had its moments. At the end of the day, you know, like I said, the Bartholomew probably had a little bit more moments where he, he got to fight his fight enough to get another win at the age of uh, 67. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, that's a goal. But I could tell you one thing he probably is doing based on the fact that he's probably Oh, he needs, he needs athletic grease if he's going to still be fighting <laughs> at this age. I'm going to guess that that's his, uh, that's his fountain of youth. Go to athleticgreens.com slash atlas to claim your 10 free travel packs with your first purchase. Athletic Greens is the all-in-one green drink, daily multivitamins made from whole food sourced ingredients, 75 of them. It's got everything you need, vitamins, minerals, you name it, Athletic Greens has it. It's your one-stop shop for all your daily vitamin needs. I take this stuff every day. And as I've said before, these travel packs are invaluable. You get 10 of them with your first order. I take them with me everywhere I go, especially when you're traveling. You should be taking this. You're in airplanes. You're not sleeping as well. You're not in your own bed. It's easy for your immune system to get run down. Take Athletic Greens. Go to athleticgreens.com slash atlas. Get the free travel packs with your first purchase and support the show. We appreciate you. Let's jump over to the other fight card last night on the um, on the um, Genebec uh, Akal. Okay, Alan Kanala. Say it five times fast. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
Alan Canala versus Stephen Butler. But before we get into the main event, let's talk about the um, the co-main. Jason Maloney against Victor Astralabio. Uh, Maloney gets a majority decision for a WBA bantamweight title. Um, good fight. Maloney kept him, kept him guessing the whole night with footwork. Kept him moving. Used his jab. Thought he put on a masterclass in terms of boxing, at least from my uh, untrained eye. And he um, he said after the fight he broke his hand in the in the third or fourth round, so was fighting with a broken hand the whole time allegedly. And uh, I mean, there's pictures of him in the hospital with his hand wrapped up. So I tend to believe, given the fact that he won the fight, that. He actually did break his hand, but uh, entertaining fight nonetheless. A real uh, high-level boxing, I thought. How'd you like it? Not exciting, as you just touched on, but you know it heated up a little bit at the end. But for about most of the night, again, the importance of why I speak about geography. Maloney got the geography on the outside, where he kept it simple. You know, he gave a. He gave a clinic on a little bit on the sweet science. You know, he's on the outside, and he basically used the jab to win the fight. His jab and his legs. You know, a little pop to you. You know, a little pop here, a little move over here. You know, he was doing the old one-two dance, the, 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 the double step. You know, jab, and then a couple of steps over here. Uh, kind of like uh, Fred Astaire, the great dancer. The only... The only thing is that, you know, he had a he had a partner in front of him who never got into the dance. You know, the Astralabia was kinda like kinda like back in high school where you go to the high school dance and you're left there standing not getting a dance. I know that never happened to you, you're so damn handsome. <laughs> that never happened to Ken Rideout. But <laughs> I was a terrible dancer. No one wanted to dance but, with me. But that's what it would have been like. Like I asked Salabia, nobody, <laughs> he didn't get a chance to dance. So all night long, not exciting, but for the most part, very efficient, effective, stuck to his plan, discipline. Maloney had the right plan, him and his people, give him credit, <laughs> where they, you know, they jabbed his socks off. They jabbed, they moved around, they kept him a little off balance, and Late in the fight, Astralabia was looking to land a big uppercut. And he was a good enough punch away. He would have impacted Maloney. But the problem with it was too little too late. And it was just a naked uppercut. No setup. You know, it, it was like coming from left field, you know, where you kind of knew it was coming, you know. And, and the chances of landing that, well, they're not great. They're great. He was getting close. He was getting close. That was the only intrigue of the fight because it was kind of, you know, a little bit of a boring fight, I guess. But not boring if you like, like I said earlier, a sort of clinic on the sweet science, if you will. But he, uh, it was a pitcher's duel, and he kept the batters at bay, you know, and he left Astroblia standing at the plate, the bottom of the ninth inning, looking to hit a home run, and uh, he whiffed. He, you know, he, he wasn't able to put the bat on the ball or put his that uppercut on the chin of Maloney. And uh, that's all she wrote, baby. That's it. That was it. And uh, in the main event, 
We had Jenna back, Akalama. Uh, I, I'm, I know I'm butchering his last name. Uh, against uh, a way outclassed and outmatched Stephen Butler. Three knockdowns in the second round. Um, Jack Reese let him probably go two knockdowns too long. Almost got him killed. I mean, he never had a chance. He was getting black. He was so outclassed. It almost begs the question, like, who made... Who made this? That fight should have been stopped. Yeah, that yeah. that fight should have been stopped earlier. No doubt about it. I said it earlier. Uh, Jack Reese is a friend of mine, but it's, it's no getting around it. Um, but that's not where the... See, that's... Okay, that could have been bad. But it's the same thing. If you were one of the power brokers, like I said about Romero, you get a gift. So this guy whose name you can't pronounce... What's his name? Janabek. Janabek. Is that is that what we're gonna call him? Because that's his first okay, name. Okay, okay, good. Janabek. That works. Alam Kanala. Alam Kanali. That works for me. So that Butler though shouldn't even. I mean, he wouldn't even be a good sparring partner for this kid. Like, I don't know what they hope to get from this. The same way as Romero was given a gift, or they thought it was a gift, right? Where, <laughs> yeah. but but he was being given a gift in theory. Because he's with one of the power brokers. He's with Heyman. He's with one of the guys that run things. Well, what's his name again, the fighter? Jennebeck. Jennebeck. So Jennebeck. Jennebeck is with one of the other power brokers, Top Frank and Bob Arum. So he gets a gift. So he gets allowed. Now, we could knock the ref all we want. But we could also say that Butler shouldn't have been in the ring. With this guy. Butler been knocked out. Butler been knocked out three times. And now it's four. He's being fed to Jennebeck, who has a large pedigree of a million amateur fights, international fights. He's undefeated. And it's like, like I said before, it's like feeding at the zoo. It's like throwing a piece of raw meat to the lions. I mean, it's... Who is in charge? The commissions, the people that okay this stuff. You know, we don't. We know top rank don't care. They just want to get their guy a sensational win, and they did it. They did it. But somebody's got to care about this part of the sport, because again, before somebody gets killed, and people do get killed, unfortunately, this butler didn't belong in the ring. So we could knock Reese for not stopping it a little sooner, but. We got to knock the people that allowed this fight to be made just so they, again, so one of the power brokers could be <laughs> appeased, could be happy that he gets what he wants, which is a big knockout on his network to make everybody on the network happy, to, to make it look like he's got, a, he's, he's got Godzilla which this doesn't say you got Godzilla. This just says that you knocked out a guy that shouldn't have been in the ring with you. How do you get excited? I know a win is a win, but Ken, how do you get excited when you look at it in a true way, in an honest way, the way we look at things, and we are looking at it right now, and you look at it in that way, how do you get excited that he knocked out a guy for the fourth time in his career that he's been knocked out now where the, the blow-by-blow announcer, I guess he was surprised because he called that fight like it was George Foreman 
and Joe Frazier in the first fight with the just with the shock of Joe Frazier getting knocked out, the shock of of an amazement of of something happening you didn't expect. So I guess he didn't expect it. Everyone else, I think, did. If you know anything about the sport, if you know anything about the sport, if you know more, if you know, if you know as much about a left hook as you do a fish hook, if you just know a little bit about the sport, you can't get that crazy uh, unless you just unless give me those, give me those, uh, give me those, Sam. Unless you're just doing this, and I guess that I guess you're doing this, right, Ken? You're doing this. I knew I'd have I have them again. Pom-poms, pom-poms, pom-poms. I mean, <laughs> damn it. Uh, how do you go that crazy, Ken? How do you act that surprised? And, and again, call it like it was Foreman knocking out Frazier. How do you, how do you make it like, I mean, you would have thought it was, you would have thought it was Al Michaels, and Al Michaels didn't go that crazy when the U.S. Olympic hockey team beat the Russians in 1980 in the Olympics. The miracle on ice. They made a movie about it. The Michaels didn't go that nuts. He just said it in a proper way, a professional way. He said, do you believe in miracles? But can, can you... Ken, I'm going to give it to you now. I'm sorry. But can you be, to go on and on and on? Whoa! Wow! Whoa! What a... Whoa! Yeah! Wow! Whoa! Yeah! Oh, no! Wow! Whoa! I was looking for the bucking Bronco in the rodeo that he rode in on. <laughs> really? I didn't know that Top Rank has a ranch. That Top Rank now has a stable where their announcers ride Broncos into the joint. Uh, the fans, did anyone else feel a little bothered by that or a little, just if not bothered, but like a little curious, like scratch your head and say, why? Why? I guess because, I guess, I, I guess because what I always say, some people think they got to howl for their meals. I don't know. Or, or maybe you didn't get enough attention that day. Really? Really? I know sometimes I don't get it. I don't get enough love. Sometimes I don't get enough attention and maybe I get a little a little off. Well, that enthusiasm didn't play well on Monday Night Football, so he's back on the uh, uh, ESPN Plus broadcast. What did you think when you heard that, Ken? In, I, I know I interrupted. I wanted to ask you, I wanted to ask you, after those fights, do you have production meetings where you guys watch it back and they give notes no, or anything? No, because no, I mean you're supposed to. During the week, during the week, the producer, the best producer we ever had was Matt Sanduli. And during the week, he used to call, he used to get us together and go over stuff, you know, privately and then collectively. And yeah, yeah. So I can't believe they have them because if they have them, somebody ain't listening. Well, I think that if you watch it back, because as I was watching, I'm like, what the hell? This guy's a 10 to 1 favorite. At one point, he said, blood is pouring from Butler's nose like it's raining. And I'm like, he is he even bleeding from the nose? You would think it looks like uh, Badu Jack behind me, the way he described it. And he was going on and on like like uh, Janabek just came back down 11 rounds to zero and scored a knockdown in the 12th round of a unification fight. This was a one-sided beatdown in a fight that like, Shouldn't have been. you should Shouldn't question have been, why this kid Butler was even in the ring. 
And Joe Tess is acting like he's shocked that this kid did exactly what he was supposed to do. He would have done this to the kid in sparring session. To your point, just like, just the facts, dude. Yep, oh, knocked down again. Oh, this is probably going a little too long here. The end, the end is inevitable. But to make it sound like it was the thriller in Manila, it's super disappointing to... Uh, but I think to your point, it's like, I think that... Down goes what they do when Down you don't... goes Frazier! That was the great, <laughs> that was guys, the great Howard Cosell. Yep, when guys on the mic, uh, using you as an example, don't um, play by the rules, uh, they find themselves hosting a podcast with me. God bless, God bless, God bless. I'm, ha I'm happy here. I'm happy here, and I hope that the, I hope you are, and I hope that Rob is, and I hope Sam is, all the people involved, and I hope the fans, I hope the fans are. Yeah, I couldn't be happier. But when I listen to it, I, I I can't help but think he must think he has to do that and perform like that to keep his job because it's so over the Ooh. top. That, <laughs> I mean, unless he's auditioning for a movie role and wants to give an example oh. of dramatic acting. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Well, let's jump over to <laughs> let's jump over to the uh, <laughs> to a more competitive venue and talk about the um, USC, UFC fight night from North Carolina. I think they had a sold out crowd, if I if I remember hearing it correctly, like eighteen thousand people there for a late afternoon fight in North Carolina on the prelims. One of the soldiers of the sport. I think that's fair. One of the real yep. soldiers of the sport. There's a lot of them. Not not a guy with a scintillating record. Not a guy that's uh, won a title, but one of the just one of the sort of the lifeblood of the sport. The guys that they show up, win or lose, they show up and they give their all and they behave like a champion and they've already beaten things in their life before they ever got in the octagon you know demons in their life which you know we all have demons and some of these guys have really had a preliminary battle in their life before they ever got to the to the boxing ring or to the octagon where if they're there they won that fight <laughs> And nobody even knows the fight, how, how difficult and treacherous and dangerous the fight might have been. But if they're there fighting for you, for the fans, for themselves, for their families, then they've won the preliminary fight to get there. That, again, you might never know about. Well, you're going to know something about one of them, one of these special men, one of these special gladiators, right? We have a lot of champions on this air. A lot of champions. Top, top guys. I couldn't even name them all. And we love them all. God bless them. And, and thank you. And we had another one on today that has never won a title. He doesn't have the greatest record. But he's every bit a champion in my estimation. And I don't know when we're going to show it. I'm going to ask you and Rob right now. But it was a half hour, and um, I think it was pretty damn good. And you tell us who it was. Yep, Matt the Immortal Brown. We had to have him on, pay homage to his career. He's been around. He's got tied for the most knockouts in the UFC. He's got the most knockouts in the welterweight division. Rob, are we going to air that one right at the end of this episode? 
or put up a separate episode on there. Okay, so guys, stay tuned after this one. We'll jump right into the Matt Brown interview. You're not going to want to miss it. Talk about a friggin' warrior. Man, this guy, and he'll tell you the story, but... <laughs> it's only it's only first, a half hour, first, but I'm telling you, it's yep. a riveting. It's a riveting. You're going to feel like you were... <laughs> that you just came out of a cage. Like, just feeling what this man has faced and what he's conquered. Yep. Just for a little te- little teaser, he had his first fight while he was drinking and doing cocaine and came out of the crowd and got into a fight, ran across the street to a sporting goods store and bought a mouthpiece <laughs> and a cup. And uh, that's a little teaser, but there's more stories like that. Just an absolute savage, nice guy, the kind of guy we like on this show and I know the fans like. So um, stick around for that one. Uh, I scored a first-round knockout, looked sensational against Court McGee on uh, on that fight night. But let's jump in, Teddy, to the start with the co-main and our friend Anthony Lionheart-Smith. Unfortunately, Anthony loses a decision against uh, the super-athletic Johnny Walker. Um Hard to watch that one. We love Anthony Smith, and uh, that third round was, I found it hard to watch, and I know you're very close with Anthony. You probably had a hard time watching it as well. He just, it looked like something was off. I don't know if he had an injury. I haven't read anything about it. He may have posted, but it looked like something was off, especially in the last two minutes of the fight. What'd you see there, Teddy? Well, first of all, we love Anthony Smith. I love him. Respect the hell out of him. He's a warrior. He's Lionheart. He's one of those gladiators. Fought everybody. Um, you know, he gives every ounce of himself every time he gets in there. And he's just a good, decent human being on top of all that. And a very articulate, very intelligent man where he's one of the best commentators for UFC out there. They have a lot of good ones. <laughs> a lot of good ones. Really good ones. Uh, Charles Sonnen, him. Dominic Cruz, DC, Joe Rogan, Anik, uh, you know, Megan. I mean, but but I'm talking about the ones that are the color ones, the, the ones that used to be fighters. Bisbang, um, what's the other one? The other kid. Uh, Michael Bisbang, Dominic Cruz, Paulie Felder. Uh, there's a whole bunch of them. All of them. But Anthony Smith's right up there with the best of them. So he's got a lot of miles on his old dominant. I think I'd be wrong if I left that out. I mean, he, he's been around. He's fought everybody. And they're not just miles. They're hard miles. It's, it's like he ain't that car that you go and buy with 200,000 miles on it. But, you know, your grandma and your grandpa were driving it. And, you know, they all they ever did was take it on very short trips over 30 years. Very, you know... And they change the oil every two weeks. I mean, you know, there's a lot of miles, but not a lot of wear and tear because there wasn't hard miles on that car. On this car, if we're using that analogy, Anthony's, there's been a lot of hard miles. I mean, he hasn't been on short ride. He hasn't been on, uh, you know, rides to the country, those Sunday drives. He's been on rides to the mountains, you know, to the lakes, through the rocks, through the mud, you know, through the harsh terrain. And um, and I think some of that's going to show. I think some of that eventually is going to show to him. I'm taking nothing away from his tremendous opponent, Walker. Johnny Walker was younger and 
Just he's a very explosive guy. Anthony Smith's not that explosive guy in one area. He's that solid guy in a lot of areas. That guy that's solid and, like I said, mentally, physically, technically, in, in just a lot of areas. And Walker is a guy that I think it's fair to say is more explosive in one area, two areas, you know, whether it's with kicks or punches, striking. <laughs> and although Smith can hurt you too, uh, and has, many guys. But Walker, I think, was always a guy <laughs> that with all that talent and explosiveness, <laughs> he was sometimes a little reckless. He fought a buttoned-up fight with Anthony Smith, where he didn't give nothing away, where he wasn't as reckless. He was much more contained, much more controlled with his talent, <laughs> much more maybe deliberate, had a good plan, executed that plan, was consistent with that plan, and like I said, <laughs> fought a, a, almost a methodical fight, which most of the time he doesn't do that. He'll make mistakes. And he didn't make any... He fought a mistake-free fight for the most part. I thought the first round, I thought they both survived some little mistakes um, and that Walker won it with his counters when he was striking. Second round, I thought the jab was going to be important for Smith to set up the right that he was looking to land and to keep him from reaching in and being counted or being vulnerable to counters of, you know, of Walker. Another tight round in the second. I had Smith winning with his jab and his counter rights, but Walker probably stole it at the end of the round with the leg kicks. Uh, and then in the third round, well, in boxing, Ken, we use a body attack to break down opponents. And, and in this sport you see that they use leg kicks sometimes. And man, Walker used some vicious kicks to the legs to wear down Smith. A very game performance by Anthony, but very impressive and controlled and deliberate, as I said, fight by Walker. You know, as I said, he was pretty much mistake-free. Uh, he was really buttoned up for a very smart, steady fight. And got a, you know, very, very big win for himself. And uh, over one of my favorite people. Yeah. Yep. Curious to see what happens next for Anthony Smith. But let's jump into the main event. Uh, Jarzino, Biggie Boy Rosenstreich in with Chelton Almeida. And <laughs> like, I, like we always talk about in the UFC, if you're not well-rounded, if you're not just as good or close to as good on the ground as you are on your feet, vice versa, someone's going to exploit that weakness. And uh, Almeida was, uh, is a jiu-jitsu black belt, took Biggie Boy right down and just smashed him. Um, One-sided. Um, how'd you like it? The same thing. As I said earlier in the show, and I say when it's appropriate to say, which is quite often, in my business, in this business, it's about who controls the geography in there to best use their skills and tools. And man, Almeida went and found a real estate agent. I mean, he bought a lot of inland. You know, inland is, you know, important. <laughs> it's expensive. And he got a good price. 
He got it, he kind of got it for free. He kind of stole it, <laughs> if you will. And um, obviously he knew that Rosenstruck was dangerous, very explosive. So he found a way, you know, to defense the bombs, to defuse, you know, uh, Rosenstruck in, in the appropriate way for him, using his best skill levels, grappling on the, mat, on the floor, on a mat. You know, he disarmed him. He got him to his geography where he was comfortable, where he could be the boss, where he's really, really good. And um, he never allowed the bombs to get ignited. A bomb means crap. It means diddly squat. If you don't get to light the fuse. He never let him light the fuse. You know, he took him to the mat. And that was that. Rosenstruck, you know, was basically a, a fish out of water. And he got filleted. Um, obviously by, uh, by Almeida. Um, he reminds us, I think, a little reminder that it's not about just size and power. Obviously, it was a lot you know, less size to him than it is to the giant explosive Rosenstruck. Um, you could say it was brains over brawn, which, you know, is, is always an important part of any fight. Um, and again, I want to, I knock when you're supposed to knock, I think. I reward when I think you're supposed to reward. And the announcers, again, because there was a lot of stuff going on the floor that was integral, that was subtle. And Again, the UFC announcers are superior. DC, Dominic Cruz, and John Anik, they explained those subtleties the way they're supposed to be explained to a layman, to a fan, you know, who might not understand them. And explained exactly what was happening and how Almeida was taking the bigger Rosenstruck apart on a mat, piece by piece, inch by inch. And um, that's it for me. Yep, that, that pretty much sums it up. Busy weekend, needless to say, when we didn't, I didn't think we'd have uh, that much to discuss coming in, coming into the weekend, but God, Tony Weeks gave us a gift. Um, nevertheless, we have, uh, what's today, the 13th is the, um, do we have the, um, Lomachenko fights coming up next weekend, right? Yeah, we have the fight plan going Saturday up, right? Night. Yeah, so so yeah, so we've got a fight plan. Lomachenko, Devin Haney. We recorded a fight plan last week in New York City. So look for that on Thursday night on our YouTube channel. Please, while you're there, subscribe to the show. It helps us immensely. Um, this is a good one. If you're gonna watch that fight, you're gonna watch, you're gonna want to hear what Teddy has to say about what each guy has to do to win the fight. I'm so excited for this fight. This is like, uh, you know, obviously with Haney is a three to one favorite, but, you know, against Lomachenko, anything can happen. The guy's been in there with everyone. And, uh, you know, you take out that that fight against um, Tiafimo, and he's a one man wrecking crew. So this will be really interesting. Big test for Devin Haney. Um, 
Really looking forward to it. But please tune in. You'll get Teddy's predictions. You'll get the fight plan, what to look for from each guy. Um, I think you guys will really enjoy it if you're planning on watching that fight. Yeah, you know, I'm glad that you set the date and time for the fight plan because one of our biggest fans and one of my best friends, uh, Pedro Martinez Fraga, one of the greatest attorneys in the world, he was uh, asking me, <laughs> he was asking me today, when is the Lomachenko-Haney fight plan going up? So there it is, Pedro. It's going up Thursday. And um, he told me, he said, can I put my two cents in? You can always put your two cents in when you're a special man, special person like you are. Go ahead. I'm picking Lomachenko. Uh, no, no. He said, I'm picking. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. He said, I'm picking Haney. And possibly... He knows how great Lomachenko is, but or has been. Possibly, possibly. I hope I'm not getting it wrong, Pedro, but possibly by late round stoppage. Unless Lomachenko can invoke some of the old Lomachenko somehow. And we touch on all of that. All of that. That's Pedro, right. you're going to be happy. And all of you, I think, are going to be happy when you see the fight plan, because we covered, well, we covered like a cheap suit. Is that how they say it? Like a cheap suit. And, yep. um, and if you are going to place a wager on the bet, please go to mybookie.ag. Use the promo code ATLAS for a 50% credit on your first deposit up to $1,000. So you put in two, they'll give you another 1000 to gamble with. If you're so inclined to gamble, gamble responsibly. But we'll, if you want to see, Ted, you want to hear Teddy's pick and, see, and hear the explanation as to why he makes the picks he makes, you have to tune in on Thursday night to see the fight plan. It'll all be there. In great detail, go to mybookie.ag, use the promo code ATLAS if you're going to bet on the fight. And with that, Teddy, we'll be back next week to break down the Haney-Lomachenko fight. Yeah, I look forward to it. it. I look forward to it. You know, I've said it before. I think it's a couple years too late for Lomachenko. But look, we're going to find out. We're going to find out. We're going we're to see. Um, and with that, I just want to say that... Uh, I hope all the mothers out there, yep. because without you, we're not here. So I hope all the mothers out there had a great day yesterday. We, of course, everyone knows we we taped this on Monday and it goes up on Tuesdays. Uh, I hope everybody, all the mothers out there, God bless you. We love you all. And I hope you all had a great day. Couldn't agree more. Have a great week, everyone. And thanks for being with us. We'll see you next week with the Lomachenko Haney Breakdown. Welcome to The Fight with Teddy Alice, presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the voice of combat sports, the legend Teddy Atlas. And today, very special guest, Matt the Immortal Brown. Fresh off our first round knockout. How you feeling, Matt? I'm feeling very good, man. Now, I got a question for you, just looking here. Is that picture always up behind you, or did you do that just for today? You made it. You're on the wall of fame. Nice. Thanks, my man. That's badass. You, you and Tony Weeks. On the wall, well, Tony's on the wall of shame for his boxing performance, <laughs> but you're on the wall of fame for the first round knockout. You looked awesome. It, thank you so much. Yeah, Matt, thank you for coming on and um, appreciate it. And I, first of all, congratulations on Saturday's sensational. Ken just alluded to it sensational one punch KO for Court McGee. Um, 
take us through it a little bit. I let me just tell you my my view of it. Obviously, it was perfectly timed. It's not just a punch that just gets thrown. It's perfectly timed over a slow jab of McGee. You had good vision, very calm in an uncalm environment, as I always talk about. It's always about the delivery system. You could be the best puncher in the world, but if you don't know how to get the punch to the target, it's not going to have a lot of value. And you know how to do that, obviously. But for me, tell me if I'm right or if I'm off. You also had a little trickery setting it up where you timed it beautifully. It was thrown, you know, perfect trajectory, perfect, you know, um, technique. But you moved your head slightly to the left, the Mm -hmm. opposite side of where the right hand was going to come to distract him, to bring his eyes with you over there so he would think that the the danger was coming from that side rather than the side that it was coming from. And then you delivered the punch where he never saw it coming, which which really is just, I mean, that's the science, whether it's in, in MMA or whether it's in my business of boxing. That's the science. That's what separates guys. And, um, and that's what separated him from his consciousness. So just tell me, am I on, am I on target with that? Yeah, you're pretty on track. You know, the, if you watch the fight, I was throwing the leg kick off his jab a lot. And um, uh, what I wanted to do, what what was going through my head was, you know, next time he throws the jab, I'm a, you know, he's getting used to my head going over there and, and coming with a leg kick. So this time, instead of it being a leg kick, I'm going to make it the right hand. Yeah, that was brilliant. Uh, so yeah. I'm right. You you moved your head a little to the left, letting him kind of yeah. go with you there so his eyes would follow you there so he wouldn't pick up on the right hand. Exactly, yeah. And I remember, um, you know, some sometimes, you know, there's a lot of things that go through your head during a fight, you know, and um, I'm pretty analytical in there sometimes. And uh, on this one particularly, I remember the first jab that he threw, I kind of stepped back a little bit in my head and I was like, thinking to myself, like, you can't be throwing your jab like that, bro. I'm going to fuck you up for that, man. Like, you cannot <laughs> throw your jab like that. Like, you got to be better than that with me. Um, and I thought maybe he was baiting me in or something. And then he threw yeah, it yeah. just like that. And I, I was just, you know, the late kick is an easy um, off a, off the jab. So I kept going with that. And then I, I said, dude, you throw that again. Like, you know, I'm going to put it on you, man. Like, you you can't keep doing that. And he did it again. So he kept repeating the same mistake. Yeah, yeah. And you and he paid for it. You you, you can't keep <laughs> you can't keep making the same mistake in life because you will pay for it. And same thing in the octagon, same thing in the squared circle in my business. I love that you just validated, really, from the horse's mouth, what I always talk about, that the cerebral part of it where a lot of people start to think, well, it's just, you know, the physical side, the brutality, the, you know, the tough side. Uh, and there's no getting around that side of it, the physical, the technique, um, that it can be very tough and brutal sometimes, my sport, your sport. But there's, there is, this, as I alluded to earlier, there is the science, there is the cerebral part where you have to be able to think in there and that's what allows you to beat sometimes stronger guys faster guys, you know, uh, you know, guys that have better maybe genetics, quite frankly. Um, but it's, it's that side of it. And you just validated that, that that's always there, isn't it? That you have to outthink a guy. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think I built like most of my career off of being that um, more of like just a brawler, man. I just come forward and just break guys, right? And, um, you know, I mean, if you look at my record, I mean, it's kind of, I don't have the best record, you know. Uh, but that was because that was the only way that I kind of knew how to fight. And some guys were able to take advantage of that uh, over time. Um, I've developed, you know, I started very late in this game, so I didn't have, um, you know, a lot of training. Like like I wasn't like a high school wrestler or a college wrestler or come up, you know, in boxing or kickboxing or anything. So I had to, I was learning on the job the whole time. So as I come up, um, I think the, the mental side and the brains, the cerebral part, um, has really finally been clicking these last couple of years. And I still got that dog in me where I can come out and, you know, if you want to go to war, we'll go to war. And I ain't scared of that battle and I'll win that battle 90% of the time. But when you start going against uh, some of these guys that can do the same, they can go to war and think you better outthink them because then a war is just going to be 50-50. And I think uh, uh, that's where I've advanced the most. No, you you well put. Um my mentor, Customato, who I thought was the smartest guy in boxing, used to say to me, Teddy, it's a prerequisite to be tough. You have to be tough. Mm-hmm. So when you have two tough guys and one is smarter, he becomes tougher automatically. And it sounds like you're kind of verifying that and, you know, kind of saying, yeah, yeah, Cus, I, I got you. Yes, yes. You know, it might have taken me a minute, but I got you. I read uh, Customato's book recently, actually. Um I forget the name of it, but it's just a short book. I don't even know if it was written by him, but it was written either about him or maybe by him. But um, what an amazing person, man. That's a must have been a blessing to get to train with him and learn from him. No, it was. It was seven years up in Catskill, and uh, he was married to one thing, and, and it wasn't a human being. <laughs> it was it was just for the boxing, quite frankly, and he, he would tell you that. He said, I never married for one reason, would be selfish, because my life was committed to one thing, to uh, to this sport. And, you know, you just touched on it, Matt, and I want to open it up a little bit for the viewers out there that don't know you as well, especially your your starts, your where you came from. I mean, it's an incredible story. Um, and also, what you just touched on, you know, work where you just... You just jumped in there and just started. Tell tell us about your first fight because it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, your first couple fights. It, it sounds like because it sounds like you fought twice in one day. But can can you go really, you know, put color to what you just touched on? What you just sketched out there to the people and color it in a little bit for us so we understand it a little better. Yes, yeah, so when I started, it was a way different world back then. There was an athletic commission's controlling. The MMA fights, you know, like they, they were kind of underground. Um, I started in a Moose Lodge and it was a fifth gift. I don't know, it's Moose or Elks Lodge. And I was actually going there with my buddy. He was fighting that night. Um, he was supposed to be fighting Wes Sims, who ended up fighting in the UFC and stuff later. But, and, you know, we were just partying, man. I was just having a good time. Um, I was doing lines and stuff. This was when I was like really, you know, deep into that scene and doing, living my life exactly the opposite of the way it should be lived. Um, and it was like a movie scene when you walk in there, people smoking cigars, betting on the fights. There's, uh, you know, just a wild and, you know, just a crazy scene. And, uh, they called out on the, the big, the big, uh, uh, on the microphone, the announcer says, Hey, you know, this guy backed out, you know, who wants to fight our champion? 
And I just got out of the, I just got out of the bathroom doing a line, and I said, "Well, I'll fight the guy tonight. Oh I'll fight him right now." Um, so I actually <laughs> had to run across the street to a sporting goods store, and I grabbed a mouthpiece and a cup at the store. Um, there was another. There was a restaurant across the street. I used their microwave to boil and bite the mouthpiece. Come back, had to pay thirty bucks, and I fought about thirty minutes later. I ended up beating the guy, and while I'm backstage, kind of cooling off or whatever, they said, "Hey, man." Uh, you want to fight again? This other guy wants to fight. And <laughs> so I fought again and uh, ended up doing that a couple of times. You know, it was just a different world, man. When you'd show up at, you know, I think it was, a, I forget if it was, again, Moose or Elks Lodge, you know, just one of those little places and you'd show up and definitely not the ones from the definitely not the ones i i love to make comparisons to tv and movies matt you know analogies and stuff I, i'm a big fan of the old honeymooners and definitely not one from where ralph crampton and ed norton who were members of the moose lounge used to take it go woo 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 you know definitely not that moose lounge where <laughs> where they <laughs> where they had the moose call you know with the back of the tail of the raccoon Raccoon. but um uh, actually it was the raccoon lodge i'm saying moose but um let me let me take you you just obviously you you live your life the way that you fight honest very honest and about your mistakes that's why i wanted you on here because of the kind of man you are to be quite frank with you um, we've had people on here that are world champions in your in your you know world. Um, to be quite frank, all the top 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 stars. Um, for me, you're a top star, and I will tell you why. I, it's 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 just the way I look at life, I guess. Because yeah, your record's not what those other guys are. Yeah, you haven't won titles, but you know what? You fought everybody. You put everything out there. And when the moment came each and every time to face what you had to face, yes, sir. you faced it like a champion. So I'm just of the belief where you don't always have to have a belt to identify somebody as a champion. You can identify them by the way they lived their life and from where they came from and the way they've changed their life. You can identify them that way. And in that way, Matt Brown for Teddy Atlas... And I'm sure other people I'm probably speaking for, you're a champion. And I wanted to have you on because of that. And I wanted you to tell the story if you would be kind enough and you're just, again, so honest, you, you touched on it, of where you came from. And because I used to always say on ESPN of all my years about boxing that I saw it firsthand save thousands of lives. The sport, the tough sport, the sport where it's broken nose like mine where you know it can be brutal people go oh my god well what could be redeeming in that sport what could be good about that sport well i'll tell you a lot could be good because i've saw a lot of young kids as i just said their life changed because of that sport the discipline the direction the pride the confidence the purpose that it gave them and i think from reading about you before I had you on here, that I would say, and I don't want to speak for you, you're going to speak for yourself, but that you're one of those lives that got saved by your sport. Mm -hmm. Whether it got saved or not, I don't know, because 
I'm not a dumb person and I'm not a, a loser at heart. Right. So I think maybe I would have changed anyway. Um, but it came to me at the right time at the right place and saved me from potentially killing myself. You know, I, I overdosed, like I was already close to death anyway. I was, um, you know, I was down in the gutter. So yes, it's very possible that it did save me. And the day that I walked into a gym, uh, it's funny that custom auto said that because I use that term all the time. I said, the day I walked in there, I married this sport and I'm a faithful spouse. And the fact is, um, every time I go on a date with a girl, you know, I, I tell her the same, if we get serious, you know, I tell her the same thing. Like, like, are you sure you want to do this? Cause you're always going to be second place. Like you're never going to be number one in my life. And you have to understand that. And you know, it's not very great for relationships. Right. But they have to understand, you know, that's what my life is and that's where it's always going to be. And I plan on dying on those mats one day and, um, there's nothing else that I really want in life. Let me ask you, you're 42. I'm going to run through a gauntlet of a gamut of just your life, your life in, in MMA, in UFC MMA. You're 42 years old. You've been a pro for 19 years now. You have the record for most knockouts in the UFC, the welterweight, the, in the UFC welterweight division. In uh, all of the uh, UFC. In the history of, uh, well, you have the record for the most knockouts in UFC welterweight history at 13, and you're tied for the most knockouts in the history of the UFC. Yeah. Am I yes. correct? And, and and you're looking to break that record. Yes. Um, right? And... Um, most finishes you have in the UFC welterweight history, most bouts in the UFC welterweight history, second most fight bonuses in the UFC welterweight history at nine, third most wins in UFC welterweight history at 17. You've had a total of 43 fights in one of the most dangerous, demanding sports in the world. You've given the fans, you know, everything and so many electric moments. Matt. Yeah, you just you just said it, but I'm I'm going to you, brother, um, to just you know maybe um, make it even clearer. If it couldn't be clearer than what you said, you just said it. A little scary, quite frankly. I'm going to die on that mat. Nobody wants to see that. Um, but after reading all these accomplishments, and you're 42 years old, you've had 43 fights. When is it? When does it stop? Well, when I stopped competing in the octagon is uh, one thing. When I stopped going on the mats is going to be when I'm dead. And again, that might be, I might be 80 years old. Like I might, you know what I mean? But, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm not saying I'm going to, you know, die on the mats next week, right? I'm saying like, I'm going to live on those mats until the day that I die. Um, but, you know, I don't know when it's going to stop, man. I feel good. I feel great. And, um, you know, the way that I look at it is, you know, if I can still compete, the, you know, why stop, right? The, you know, the fact is, I, I, see, I look at my fights a little bit differently. I don't I don't take it quite as serious, I guess, as other people. I mean, I, I take it serious, but, um, again, I said I married this sport, and I'm going to do it till the day that I die. I'm a martial artist for life. Every fight to me is a picture in time of where my martial art is on that day. So I don't have, so I'm looking at the bigger picture. This is just a test of my skills on that day. So I go in and I, of course, I give it the best that I can and I plan on victory and I plan on co um, competing to kill and I plan on winning every single time. 
And I go in, you know, I go for blood, right? I'm, I'm not there to play around. But I'm going to wake up the next morning, um, just like I did yesterday. And I got in my lift. I got in my run. And, you know, I still um, support. You know, I, I had to take my son to golf, you know, golf lessons. And, you know, it's it's just another day. It ain't it wasn't no different than than uh, last Sunday. It, you know, what I mean, it, it, there wasn't any difference. So you just said a little while ago that at the very least, even if it didn't save your life outright, it, that this sport changed the direction of your life. That's fair. A thousand right? percent. That's, yes. That's, that, that's a, all right. Um, would you say that it's a good thing? Some people might hear it the way they want to hear it, but for me, uh, it can only be the way I mean it. And in this way, it's a good thing. Um, did you trade? One addiction for another. hundred <laughs> percent. And that's, you know, that's what, again, when you, when you talk about all those accolades, man, it, it just blows my mind. Cause you know, again, this wasn't, I didn't plan on all that stuff. You know, I just wanted to be the greatest guy that I could be, man. And I want, um, but what those accolades mean to me though, everybody has been asking me that, you know, since I got the record and everything, I've done a bunch of interviews like, Oh, what does it mean to you? What it means to me is I can reach more people. Now I can reach more kids. Well, you are right now. You are right now. That's what it's about, right? That's what we do all this for, right? It's I don't go in there for myself only, right? They they say this is a selfish sport. I say it's not selfish at all because I'm showing up for everyone. Like I'm showing up for the the little man, you know. I'm I should be. If you see where I came from, a town of two hundred people where I didn't, I didn't see a skyscraper until I was 20 years old. You know what I mean? I didn't know that there was a world out there. I'm fighting for that guy. Show him, look, there's hope, bro. You know, my family all lives in, you know, uh, shithole Kentucky. You know, they could, a lot of them, like, you know, live in trailers and in the hills. And it's like, dude, I'm fighting for that guy. I show you, look, there's hope out there. You can do great things. You can do amazing things. Your life is limitless. And if I'm not showing you that, then no one can, because I'm a perfect example of that. So when I go in there, it's not selfish. Amen. It's not just about me. It's about everyone. And when I feel that energy from everyone, that's when I'm powerful. And that's when I go in and smash people and knock them out like I did the other day. Well, amen. And I'm going to let Ken uh, jump in there. Oh, I was going to tell you, Matt, to your point about uh, being a representative for the for the man, for the people out there that can't be in there. You're an excellent example for uh, for kids. Uh, my youngest son is uh, nice. he loves jujitsu. I signed all four of my kids up. Three of them quit immediately, but the little one already got his first belt upgrade. He's seven. Nice. He's training with twelve year old kids. Like you know, some kids they just they just get it and they take to it and other kids are like no 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 i do not want this contact i don't want someone breathing on me i don't want to smell them I, you know like when you're in jujitsu you get to know people and this little guy goes every day and i and when you had that knockout i brought him in i said look at what this guy just did and he was like oh cool what's his name and he's now he's so interested in like hearing everything about you and he'll be eight in july but um he's at school otherwise i'd bring him in here and tell him to say hello to you but he loves it and uh you're a good example to the children out there so thank you for doing this. Thank you for being the man that you are. We appreciate you, and uh, congrats on all the success, man. We're, we're certainly be uh, we'll certainly be pulling for you in the future to break that record. 
Uh, well, I appreciate that, man. And that means more to me right there than anything else. Like, you know how honored I am to be on Teddy Atlas's podcast. That means a lot to me right there. Teddy Atlas is the man. Watch watch you since ESPN two days, bro. Fight night fights back in the day. <laughs> um, but when I hear something like that, the fact that uh, a kid looks up to me, that means so much to me. And even my own gym, I own a gym here in um, uh, Columbus, Ohio. My own gym during COVID, I'd only had my gym a year before that. And when COVID happened, I thought about just shutting down. I was like, dude, this, you know, who knows what's going to happen. And, you know, we're barely making, scraping by at this point. Um, about two or three days in, you know, some of these kids were, um, their parents were messaging me and they're like, man, my kid doesn't know what to do and this and that. And, you know, and I said, dude, I'm not fucking shutting down, man. I'm going to open this thing back up. These kids need this. And, um, ever since that time, just seeing the difference between those kids being out, we only shut down for a week, um, for those kids being out for a week. And then the difference in them having something to strive for, has something to um, give them that discipline, that structure and all those different, uh, you know, uh, buzzwords, man. Um, what a beautiful thing. And I said, I'm, I'm never, uh, I'm never going to shut this gym down. Um, these kids mean too much to me. Um, it's too fulfilling. And, it's amazing when you see the fork that you create in a kid's life. Teddy was talking about it earlier, you know, about how we can help these kids. And when I see these kids that you're literally creating a fork in the road in their life, they were going down this one road, who knows where it would have went. They could get bullied, which could lead to depression, suicide, who knows what, right? It could be all kinds of things, you know, whether jail or who knows. We created a fork. Their entire lives are different now every single step along the rest of that road is different. And to know that I can touch people like that makes everything I do worth it, regardless of how much UFC pays and regardless of how much um, beatings I take and regardless of all the injuries, it's all fucking worth it, man. When I told my son, hey, we're going to have to take a few weeks off because we go to see my in-laws in uh, New York for a few weeks in July. I said, we're going to take July off from training. And he was like, I can't take July off, Dad. Those kids are going to get better than me, and I'm not going to be trained. I'm going to be going yeah. in reverse. I said, no, we're going to go train with Teddy in the city, and we're going to go to Gregor Gracie's Academy. We'll train. And he was so excited. He's he's really excited. to. Uh, <laughs> he said, I, Dad, I need to learn how to punch so I can make it to the UFC. I can't just be good at jujitsu." <laughs> I love it. I love it, man. <laughs> yeah, man. You can't teach him to feel like that. These are just like natural things that he says. Because like I said, I had four kids and three of the others quit immediately. They were like, you know, you can't force someone to want to do that kind of contact. So sure. I'm excited to have one that's interested in it. Matt, we we love you. And just love where you came from, what you've done with your life, what you continue to do with your life. And I want to thank you for something maybe you've be a little surprised that I'm thanking you for. And I think from all the fans that we represent, um, thank you for teaching us, for reminding us that you never give up and reminding us that no matter what, as long as you give it your all, you always have the most powerful tool in the world, and I often talk about this, the choice of how you're going to behave when that moment comes. 
It's always your choice. No matter what the world does to you, no matter, you know, how you've been beaten up, no matter what you've been through, no matter any of that stuff, that it's always your choice of how you're going to behave, of when that moment comes, what you're going to do, how you're going to represent yourself. And I just want to thank you for reminding us of that, teaching us that, and for behaving the way that you behave. Every time you get in there, you behave like a champion. You behave the way that, you know, a winner, a winner in life should always represent themselves and should always behave. So I thank you. That's it. Thank you from, I think, <laughs> all our fans. Man, I'll tell you what, coming from a guy like you, Teddy, that means more than you'll ever know. I, I can't thank you enough, man. Um, all, all the stuff that you do and everything, uh, um, you know, your entire demeanor, the way you preach, the way you talk, gets us all fired up, man, and we love it. And you know, how you speak about behavior all the time, um, yeah, that's an underrated part of this sport and and these endeavors that we take on. So uh, that means a lot coming from you, and I thank you for everything you do also, sir. Thank you. You guys live by a code, and you know what? I appreciate that code. I, I really do. Thank you. Matt, you're invited to the uh, Teddy Atlas Foundation, the annual dinner, the Thursday before Thanksgiving in November in New York City. We've had a bunch of unbelievable guests in the past. Um, Evander Holyfield, Mickey Ward, uh, Dustin Poirier, we've had them all. And uh, we'd love to host you there if you're interested. If you can make it to New York in November, it would be an honor, an honor to have you there. Would love to. Just send me the invite so I can put it on the calendar and I will do my best. I promise. Will do. Sounds good, brother. Thanks for doing this. Really appreciate your time. Best to your best to your family, Matt. Thank you guys. Best to all of you. Thank you, brother. Have a great day. You too.